The Case Against Introspection. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Case Against Introspection by Knight Dunlap. It is rather generally agreed among English psychologists that there is something, state, process, act, relation, or whatever, which may properly be called introspection. There is also rather general agreement in the definition of the term, whatever may be said of divergences in regard to its practical application. The greatest disagreements have been over the temporal nature, the difficulty, and the reliability of introspection. It is now high time that we should question, more seriously than has been done heretofore, the existence of introspection in the traditional sense. It is for this purpose necessary to present some actual usages of the terms introspection and consciousness in English psychology. Although it is not at all necessary to go over the whole field of psychological writings and call every instance in which use has been made of these terms, the discussion of the uses of Selbstbeobachtung, Bewusstheit, and other German psychological terms is an entirely different piece of work, which may or may not be profitable. It certainly is not profitable in English, and I have no intention of engaging therein. Introspection is usually defined in terms which are equivalent to the expression consciousness scrutinizing itself. Such definitions are significant only when consciousness and scrutiny and itself or whatever terms are substituted for them, are more explicitly defined. Typical statements from psychological texts are given below. James says, quote, It means, of course, the looking into our own minds and reporting what we there discover. Everyone agrees that we there discover states of consciousness. End quote. Principles, Volume 1, page 185. Angel Quote, it consists simply in the direct examination of one's own mental process. Close quote. Psychology, 4th edition, page 5. Judd, quote, in observing this conscious state, he introspects. End quote. Stout, quote, to introspect is to attend to the workings of one's own mind. End quote. Manual, introduction, Chapter 2, page 2. Stratton, quote, This direct acquaintance with the state of our minds which all of us to some extent possess. End quote. Experimental Psychology, page 2. Yerkes, in discussing introspection, quote, It is by observing my own consciousness that I directly study the objects of consciousness. End quote. Introduction, 4i. Mayer, the exponent of Thomism, quote, states of consciousness can only be observed by introspection, that is, by the turning of the mind in on itself. End quote. Psychology, 4th edition, page 11. The technical use of the word introspection in this way is of recent introduction, see Oxford Dictionary, but the signification is very old. 
we need not pursue it back farther than Reed, Hamilton, Bain, and James Mill, to get a definite understanding of the extent to which self-consciousness is involved in British theories. The discussion here runs into the consideration of the term consciousness, to which we must give a little space. Bain, footnote, The Feelings and the Will, 4th edition, 538, et sec., end footnote, distinguishes and lists thirteen different senses in which the term was used. The catalogue is now too short, for James' usage of the term does not belong anywhere in it. With the greater number of the uses we have no great concern. We should point out, however, that Reed made of consciousness a separate faculty, practically the introspective observation of the modern psychologists. First Essay, Chapter 1 Hamilton, while having some agreement with Reed in the use of the term, contended that consciousness is involved in every mental act. Quote, Can I know without knowing that I know? Can I desire without knowing that I desire? Can I feel without knowing that I feel? This is impossible. Now this, common condition of self-knowledge, is precisely what is denominated consciousness. End quote. Metaphysics, Lecture 9, page 110, in American edition of 1880. The whole of this lecture is especially important. What we now call introspection is described by Hamilton as follows, quote, In an act of knowledge, my attention may be principally attracted either to the object known or to myself as the subject knowing, and in the latter case, although no new element be added to the act, the condition involved in it, I know that I know, becomes the primary and prominent matter of consideration. End quote. Lecture 11, page 135. In strong contrast with the use of the term consciousness by Reed and Hamilton, we find James Mill declaring, quote, To say I feel a sensation is merely to say that I feel a feeling which is an impropriety of speech, and to say that I am conscious of a feeling is merely to say that I feel it. In the very word feeling, all that is implied in the word, consciousness is involved. End quote. Analysis, Chapter 5 To which Bain felt constrained to add a footnote correcting what he considered a serious error. The modern views of introspective consciousness are best represented by the statements of Stout and James, because these, too, have made the attempt to work out a system in which introspection is not only admitted, but is really provided for. I shall confine my discussion, therefore, to these two authors. Other introspectionists have simply claimed that introspection occurs without trying to show the nature or details of the process. Footnote. This, of course, does not apply to those who explicitly hold to the scholastic doctrine of introspection. I hope to show in a later paper that in the scholastic doctrine of the intellect there is a good foundation for the doctrine of introspection. End footnote. In Stout's writings, there is less confusion between consciousness, in the cognitive aspect at least, and the objects of consciousness, than in the writings of other psychologists. Quote, Physical states as such become objects only when we attend to them in an introspective way. Otherwise, they are not themselves objects, 
but only constituents of the process by which objects are recognized. End quote. Manual, page 124. Quote, the object itself can never be identified with the present modification of the individual's consciousness by which it is cognized. This holds true even when we are thinking about modifications of our own consciousness. The conscious experience in which we think of another conscious experience is always at least partially distinct from the conscious experience of which we think. End quote. If we confine our discussion for the present to the realm of sensational consciousness, we find that the objects which the sensation cognizes are sensible qualities, or sensory elements. The sensible quality red, and the sensation of red, one would think, differ in that redness is in the quality, or is the quality. The sensation should have no redness, for it is an element in the process of perceiving red. This is apparently what stout means, so far as the sensation is primarily concerned. But the sensation has the property of becoming secondarily an object for another physical state, and then, of course, it has objective qualifications. Obviously, the only quality which we can consistently ascribe to the sensation of red in its secondary capacity is the sensible quality it cognizes in its primary capacity. Quote, if we compare the color red as a quality of a material object with the color red as a quality of the corresponding sensation, we find the redness as immediately perceived is an attribute common to both. The difference lies in the different relations into which it enters in the two cases. End quote. The sensation as an object has intensity as well as quality, and when referred to the physical world is correlated with wavelength and not with any sensible quality. Here we have the whole scheme of introspective consciousness. A sensation as such is not an object but the awareness of an object. Hence it is not observable, but an observation. This Stout sees clearly and grants freely, and so far we can go with him. But demanding that the sensation shall be nevertheless observed, for what reason we shall see later, Stout assumes that the sensation which primarily is consciousness or awareness is or may be secondarily what it is not primarily, namely, an object for another awareness, which may be either subsequent to the first awareness or simultaneous with it. We wonder indeed what the mind is which one attends to. Manual, Introduction, page 2. And we might indeed wonder what the one who attends is. These apparent simple assumptions become exceedingly complicated and shaky when introspection is included. Surely the mind is not the mere sum of the processes, for we are told that, quote, the most important drawback is that the mind, in watching its own workings, must necessarily have its attention divided between two objects, end quote, implying that it is only one process, after all, which cognizes both objects, for that there should be any difficulty in one process cognizing one object and another process cognizing another object, whether the second object is or is not the first process, does not seem reasonable. Without question, Stout is bringing in here illicitly the concept of a single observer 
and his introspection does not provide for the observation of this observer, for the process observed and the observer are distinct. James's doctrine of introspection, as stated in the Principles, is less inconsistent than Stout's, that James seriously doubted the actual existence of the machinery he built up in theory, does not in any way lessen the need for its examination, since the influence of James's speculations concerning consciousness is unfortunately very strongly felt in psychology. Quote, there are realities, and there are states of mind, and the latter know the former, and it is just as wonderful for a state of mind to be a sensation and know a simple pain, as it is to be a thought and know a system of related things. End quote. Volume 2, pages 5 through 6. Quote, the relation of knowing is the most mysterious thing in the world. Knowledge becomes for him, the psychologist, an ultimate relation that must be admitted, whether it be explained or not. End quote. Volume 1, page 216. Here is an unmistakable deviation from Stout. For Stout, the term mental process applies to the knowledge, for James it is primarily the knower, and knowledge is assumed as an additional process, with which James concerns himself little, although involving it freely in his system. Quote, the passing thought then seems to be the thinker. End quote. Volume 1, page 342. This thinker knows external objects, and it also knows past thought. Quote, it may feel its own immediate existence. We have all along admitted the possibility of this, hard as it is by direct introspection to ascertain the fact. But nothing can be known about it until it is dead and gone. End quote. Volume 1, page 341. Introspection is then for James, first, the knowing of the knower, not of the knowing, and secondly, is always retrospection. The division of attention, in regard to which Stout trips, comes in here, however, more legitimately. Quote, the thought, which whilst it knows another thought, and the object of that other, appropriates the other, and the object which the other appropriated, End quote. Volume 1, page 340, is manifestly doing double duty, is simultaneously observing two different things at once. James and Stout agree in postulating an introspection which makes objective that which is primarily non-objective, but differ in that while James is postulating the objectification of the subject and not dealing at all with the knowing, although specifically postulating it in addition to the subject, Stout is postulating the objectification of the knowing and deals with the subject only illicitly. The objectification of the subject is for James not an occasional matter, but an essential aspect of the functioning of the stream of consciousness. Quote, the knowledge of some other part of the stream, past or future, near or remote, is always mixed in with our knowledge of the present thing. End quote. Volume 1, page 606. Although, quote, a mind which has become conscious of its own cognitive function plays the psychologist upon itself. It not only knows the things which appear before it, it knows that it knows them. End quote. Volume 1, pages 272 
to 273. Footnote. I must confess that in the above quotations I find more mixed in with the knowledge than James explains, especially in connection with the knowledge of the future, but I think the general meaning is clear. End footnote. This psychologizing is apparently only a special development of the universal function of mind by which it preserves its unity through the present subject of knowing or appropriating to itself the past subjects. The doctrine of the essentially retrospective nature of introspection is very useful to James in defending the transitive states of consciousness which he admits cannot be discovered by introspection. Quote, for a state of mind to survive in memory, it must have endured for a certain length of time. In other words, it must be what we have called a substantive state. Prepositional and conjunctional states of mind are not remembered as independent facts. We cannot recall just how we felt when we said, how, or notwithstanding. Our consciousness of these transitive states is shut up to their own moment. Hence one difficulty in introspective psychologizing. Any state of mind which is shut up to its own moment, and fails to become an object for succeeding states of mind, is as if it belonged to another stream of thought. End quote. Volume 1, pages 643 to 644. The essential points in James's scheme of consciousness are subject, object, and a knowing of the object by the subject. The difference between James's scheme and other schemes involving the same terms is that James considers subject and object to be the same thing, but at different times. In order to satisfy this requirement, James supposes a realm of existence which he at first called states of consciousness, or thoughts, and later pure experience, the latter term including both the thoughts and the knowing. This scheme, with all its magnificent artificiality, James held on to until the end, simply dropping the term consciousness, footnote, James, Does Consciousness Exist, Journal of Philosophy, etc., Volume 1, page 478, also, A World of Pure Experience, Journal of Philosophy, etc., Volume 1, pages 538 to 541, end footnote, and the dualism between the thought and an external reality. Introspection can hardly be bolstered up by James's mechanical psychology. To assume that the thought of a cabbage knows a feeling of regret, and that the thought of a cabbage may in another moment be known in turn by the thought of a red necktie, is ingenious but ineffectual. As the knower in the act of knowing is not known, but is known only after it has finished its cognizing, the assertion that what is now known was once a knower remains a mere assertion to the end. All that James's system really amounts to is the acknowledgment that a succession of things are known, and that they are known by something. This is all any one can claim, except for the fact that the things are known together, and that the knower for the different items is one and the same. This further implication James does not escape, in spite of the assumption of a series of different thoughts assuming the knowing function, for after all, the knowing function is the same in each case. 
the thoughts all take the same point of view in knowing other thoughts or things and it is the point of view which constitutes the real i or subject the real claim to admission which introspection holds in james's original scheme is therefore not based on the turning of a subject into an object but on the existence of two sorts of objects there are according to james's principles thoughts which are known and the things corresponding to the thoughts which are also known a cabbage is known and there is also in the stream of consciousness a thought of a cabbage which is known no matter by what if this sort of representationalism is accepted there is no objection to calling the knowing of the thought introspection meaning therefore by the term exactly what reed meant by consciousness but the day for such physical mechanics has gone by the ghostly world of representational ideas or states of consciousness dim shadows through which we may look at the real objects casting them or on which alone we may fasten our gaze attracts no longer faith nor interest it is significant in this connection that james in giving up the term consciousness abandoned his whole representational scheme without however giving up the essential mechanics of his doctrine of knowledge hence for his last psychology there is virtually no introspection possible there are probably no psychologists at the present time who hold to introspection explicitly on the representational grounds of reed and the older view of james if there are any such i certainly do not wish to argue the point with them for one who believes in representationalism a belief in representationalistic introspection is quite the consistent thing i am inclined to suppose that the greater number of those modern writers who explicitly presuppose introspection have in mind however dimly the sort of introspection which stout defines footnote see for example in addition to the authors above quoted calkins psychology nineteen ten page sixty eight myers experimental psychology nineteen o nine pages three to five pillsbury essentials of psychology nineteen eleven pages six to nine attention nineteen o eight pages two twelve to two seventeen royce outlines of psychology nineteen o three pages sixteen to eighteen titchener Textbook of Psychology, 1909, pages 15 to 25. G. E. Moore, The Nature and Reality of Objects of Perception, Proceedings of the Aristotelian Society, New Series, Volume 6, 1905 to 1906, pages 102 to 1104. None of these authors explicitly presents a theory of introspection so that we cannot say positively that they agree with stout End footnote. the objections to stout's theory are not of the same order as the objections to the theory of james although just as profound there can be no denial of the existence of the thing knowing which is alleged to be known or observed in this sort of introspection the allegation that the knowing is observed is that which may be denied knowing there certainly is known the knowing certainly is not i may observe or be aware of a color an odor or any other sensation sense datum 
I may be aware of relations and feelings, I may be aware of any combination of these, but, stout to the contrary notwithstanding, I am never aware of an awareness. The possible objection to the statement just made, and probably the logical foundation of the introspection hypothesis, is as follows. If one is not aware of awareness, he does not know that it exists. If one denies that he is ever aware of a thing, and that anyone else is ever aware of it, he has no right to say that there is such a thing. The force of this argument is purely imaginary. It may sound paradoxical to say that one cannot observe the process or relation of observation, and yet may be certain that there is such a process, but there is really no inconsistency in the saying. How do I know that there is awareness? By being aware of something. There is no meaning in the term awareness which is not expressed in the statement, quote, I am aware of a color, or what not, end quote. So much for the logical foundation of introspection. There is, however, a psychological reason for the rise of the theory. So many psychologists would not have assumed the reality of introspection if there were not some process or operation which stimulates it. This process, I think, may be readily pointed out when one observes some external object, as for instance sound, there are simultaneously present a number of other objects which are intimately connected with the observing of the sound, and which may not be themselves observed clearly. The muscular sensations from the tympanum, neck, breast, and other regions, the visual images, the feelings, the visceral sensations, all these are definitely modified in the listening for the sound, and yet may not be vivid. On the other hand, the attention may be turned to these accessory facts, and the importance of the auditory sensation may be secondary. In this case, there seems to be a turning of the attention from the outer fact, the sound, to the inner facts. These facts are inner in that they concern or are constituents of the body or objective self. By a rather natural step, accordingly, these inner facts are taken to be the process of observing the sound. Observation of them is therefore the process of observing the process of observing the sound. Introspection. Stated in detail, this sort of introspection is quite clearly the observation of things which are just as objective, considered from the point of view of knowledge, as is the sound. The trouble comes from the fact that we are apt to omit detailed statements. The double distinction between the subject and the object, and between the self and the not-self, almost inevitably leads, in the absence of rigid analysis, to the identification of the objective self with the subject, and hence the vague conclusion that processes associated with the knowing of external objects are processes of knowing the same objects. In actual practice, most psychologists who use the term introspection and define it as the observation of consciousness not only do not seek to apply it in strict accordance with this definition, but they even apply it to the whole range of psychological observation. In giving introspective reports on the observation of a sound, for example, the sound itself is usually included as one of the introspected details. So colors, odors, 
after-images, and all other objects of consciousness, are quite commonly said to be introspectively observed. This practice constitutes effectively the reductio ad absurdum of the introspection theory. Starting as a distinctive kind of observation, the observation of an observation of something, it finishes as the only kind of observation. In other words, there would seem to be really nothing to observe except the observation of something else. There is, as a matter of fact, not the slightest evidence for the reality of introspection as the observation of consciousness. Hence we must, in default of such evidence, cease the empty assumption of such a process. We might keep the word to apply to the processes we have described above, observation of feelings and of kinesthetic and synesthetic sensations, a term by which to designate the observation of these factors would be very useful, and introspection is the illegitimate term for the purpose, since these factors are the real inner ones of which psychology has been talking for so long a time. But in view of the words quite disreputable past, it is probably better to banish it for the present from psychological usage. Knight Dunlap The Johns Hopkins University Note. After the foregoing discussion was placed in the hands of the editor, Professor Titchener's interesting Prolegomena to a Study of Introspection appeared in the July number of the American Journal of Psychology. Professor Titchener discards the Hamiltonian doctrine of the mind being self-conscious in every cognition. What he substitutes for this doctrine is not made altogether clear, but apparently it is a theory similar to that of Stout, or else, and this is more probable, the scholastic doctrine. This is indicated by such things as the implicit application of the term introspection to the observation of sounds, the statement that the psychologist is observing his own mind, and the statement that introspection is the interrogation of experience. The strongest indication is the contention that introspection is not necessarily a conscious process. This doctrine, which at first seems highly paradoxical, is quite intelligible if we remember that consciousness in Professor Titchener's mind scheme is made up of processes which are by no means to be identified with cognitions of objects, but rather with objects cognized. It is quite consistent with this terminology to say that introspection is not primarily a conscious process. It is the observation of a conscious process. End of the case against introspection.